Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusaders. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. And this is Bad Girl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And I am proud to present, in association with the BatmanUniverse.net, episode 17.5 for March MMXI, a special commentary on Superman Batman Apocalypse. Episode 17.5 is brought to you by Summer Glow's Lip Gloss. Do you want your lips to pop? Do you want your lips to be cool? Do you want all the boys to be talking about you at school? Then Summer Glow's Lip Gloss is for you. Just smear on a little of this and let the lip gloss work its magic. Summer Glow's Lip Gloss comes in three flavors, including strawberry, cherry, and bubblegum. And coming soon in summer 2011, Summer Glow's Lip Gloss Case, the perfect lip gloss accessory. Bad Girl to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prizes you may encounter are June's Batgirls number 21 and Birds of Prey number 12, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Okay, so this is another special commentary episode. This time we're going to take a look at Superman, Batman, Apocalypse. I like to call it Superman, Batman, Supergirl. 
But just like Pamela Anderson, this episode is stacked with a great panel. Uh, it includes me, of course, Dustin from the BatmanUniverse.net, Joe, who is also on the BatmanUniverse.net, and Michael Bailey. So we just hop right in, and Dustin takes the lead. So let's go around and introduce ourselves. Joining me today, we have a number of uh, special guest hosts. Um, some you may have heard before on other commentaries and other things, and some you may have heard on other podcasts in general. So because this is a Superman-Batman apocalypse commentary, we figured not only would we have the Batman universe represented by having myself and Joe here, but we figured why not get somebody who knows a little bit something about Superman, so we have Michael Bailey here. Very glad to be here. And in addition, Stella is joining us as the Supergirl representative for this commentary. Girl power, go. (laughs) Alright, so, without further ado, let's get right into Superman Batman Apocalypse, and we're going to count down in three seconds and hit play. In three, two, one. Wow, that's a really long logo. So I thought it was interesting, this opening sequence. It kind of almost gives you a feel of Batman the Animated Series with the surveillance, Gotham Police Department uh, surveillance blimps, as well as overlooking the city. And there's even that's, there's a scene that's coming up where, well, it's right after this cat. <laughs> the, 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 but the light goes up the building, and it reminds you exactly of Batman. Wait, where is he? No, he's not there. It's just a gargoyle. It's a little different from the uh, the original comic book opening. That was more focusing on the reign of kryptonite that the DC heroes were uh, were looking for. But it does definitely set the mood of Gotham and give you a little bit of familiarity, like you were saying, to the DC uh, AU proper, especially the fact that Kevin Conroy's Batman. Yeah. never noticed the little graffiti Batman. That's kind of funny. <laughs> I have to say, going in, think when they first announced this movie, I, I wasn't uh, exactly super excited about this, specifically because I really did not like Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. Mostly because they marketed it as, you know, a very, very close interpretation of the, of the comic book, and uh, in my opinion, it was far from it. They got the art style pretty close, but for the most part, I really, really despised that movie. So this one, uh, I didn't have high hopes for, and really wasn't looking forward to it. But uh, I was surprised 
by how closely they were to the story in comparison to Public Enemies. I I, I actually enjoyed Public Enemies and, and the changes that they made to the stories. I vividly remember these issues coming out. God, this looks like Michael Turner artwork. Uh, sorry. Um, vividly remember these issues coming out and the excitement around the concept of a new Supergirl and that Michael Turner was coming on. This is actually, sadly, kind of one of the last things that he did that I really, really liked um, because I felt his covers after this weren't as good as they could have been. But they really nailed this story in terms of an adaptation. They made very, very few changes in uh, Apocalypse, and I actually feel that all the changes they made served the story better. Um whereas I think the one mistake of Public Enemies was not having Captain Adam be the hero like he was in the comics. Yep. That was my biggest problem with that movie. Um, you know, but in terms of other things, I think it captured this, the feel of that film. And I, I, I kind of dig the fact that they're trying to adapt the art styles as closely as they can. Everyone whip out your uh, graphic novel and... Uh, Look for the translation guide. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, because I have the hardcover version of this story, and then at the back it said, we're in Kryptonese, and after I thought, well, I thought it was called Kryptonian, but okay. But really, I, I don't think I have the time to sit there and figure out what this is. Um, who else read this when it first came out? Did anybody? Did. You yeah. did? Was it annoying having the the Kryptonese without a proper translation guide? Because um, I hated it. <laughs> I mean, it was annoying, but at the same time, uh, it, it was like one of those added things. It, it, to me, it was like a bonus feature. I, I didn't particularly think it was the best idea in the world, but I did think that it was kind of like a bonus feature to a comic, which you don't see very often. I will say the one thing Turner did to Batman's costume that I didn't really like is the bat symbol. Um, not a really big fan of that. I was commenting on the uh, Crisis on Two Earths commentary that I think the the DC, well, I guess the WB people have really stepped up their their introduction movies like this. Um, just the the titles. I think it's gotten so much better from way back when, you know, Brainiac Attacks. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd count Brainiac Attacks in the same vein as this, because that was more of an adjunct to the animated series. Yeah. We, um, we shouldn't speak of that anyways. I, I've owned it since 2006 and still have never oh, wow. watched it, and I am a oh. huge Superman fan, but I've heard it was so bad that... Uh, um, the. <sighs> You know what I really want from these films, though? And I'm not really trying to c complain because there hasn't been a DC animated uh, direct-to-DVD feature that I've disliked. I really want a theme that stands out. And it seems that as good as the themes are to the various films, I really can't tell one from the other. And, and, it, and it seems like they're all like this... Dun, 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 and maybe I'm just nitpicking too much, but uh, I really want a good heroic theme that, like, Shirley Walker, the late Shirley Walker, would do 
you know, make it iconic. But I don't know if they do that on purpose just to keep the films kind of grounded. I I would I would say I think it has a little bit to do with the fact that they don't want to. I mean, a lot of Shirley Walker's stuff was associated with the animated series, obviously, and um, I think for the most part they try to stay away from the animated series so they don't they don't have to be compared to it. You know Coming how up. I feel about naked women there, Michael. <laughs> Coming up is the scene that my I had to warn my wife about because it, oh, it has a bone breaking in it and she gets really upset oh. at such things. But, it, but it's kind of funny that not only is this reminiscent of the scene in the comic, but it's also kind of like from Supergirl the movie from 1984 where uh, Max Headroom and another guy come on to her in an uh, alleyway and she ends up taking him out. I'm curious, really? to, know if, I'm curious to know if the, the writers of the comic had anything, any idea or use the original uh, Supergirl movie as a kind of thought process when doing that. I, uh... The thing about the the naked girl that bothers me is that Kara, despite being technically older than Superman, she is still a 16-year-old girl. Yeah. And there was way too much almost nude 16-year-old girl uh in the comic and and not so much here thankfully <laughs> love that <laughs> but uh i i will say though that the her speaking kryptonese here works very well in terms of showing how confused she is by her surroundings and not really knowing what the heck is going on i just don't understand why she is naked to be honest <laughs> um because yeah, that, well, who travels in a ship naked? Uh, to better absorb the yellow sunlight in the ship. I got nothing. I've got absolutely. <laughs> but didn't nothing. they have a backflash either in the movie? I can't remember, even though I've watched it recently, or in the the comics. Doesn't she see her parents? And I feel like they put her in clothes. That would be a little strange to have her father put well, in a naked sixteen-year-old. Well, how messed up the the Supergirl comics were after this introduction, uh, the the Zor-El that they were trying to go with there for a little while wouldn't have surprised me if he was putting his daughter in there naked. But I, I think, and, and I'm not going to get on a soapbox here, I, I promise. But I, I think it's just DC at that time was. Um, trying to be a little edgier, I guess you could say, and pandering to certain sensibilities in their target audience that, you know, they thought, hey, they'd like to see her almost naked because Michael Turner can draw hot women. (laughs) I would not doubt that at all. So, (laughs) I don't know if there was an official meeting or if it was just understood but uh, I mean, it's 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 like the cover to the first Ed Benet's Birds of Prey issue, where Barbara goes oh, up to uh, you know double D. So oh dear, I will say the music cue here is awesome. Little John Williams mixed in there. Was there not anyone in that surveillance blimp then? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. 
I would have thought the whole point in having the blimp, like a surveillance blimp, was to have someone in it. Like, I don't know what the term would be, but looking out, you know, for trouble. I'm always kind of interested in how Michael Turner characters have a digestive system with how skinny their midsections are. They eat yogurt a lot. <laughs> Just a lot of yogurt. Yes, that's basically. <laughs> and Batman messes with Supergirl by giving her green yogurt all the time. <laughs> oh, God. We're never going to have a simple bat cave ever again, are we? It's always got to be this extravagant affair. Well, it's always got to be something that that has a thousand things that what would he have a use for? Yeah. I mean, how many people does he actually bring to the Batcave and scan like he's scanning Supergirl right now? Yeah. I can't imagine very many. So, uh, in terms of editing audio, I wouldn't mind having that screen. So, there, there's a little debate amongst certain people uh, that I've heard in, in listening to other podcasts that some people love the fact that Kevin Conroy is always Batman and there are other people that are like, we need somebody else as Batman. Where does everyone fall on that? Um, well, Kevin Conroy, you know, for a good majority of my life was the definitive voice of Batman. Um, I think the thing is if they, if they if they get the people back who were originally the voices in the animated series, I don't have a problem with it. You know, they got Tim Daly to do the voice of Superman, Kevin Conroy as Batman. That that works for me. the The issue I run into is, um, for instance, Kevin Conroy when he when he voiced for Batman: Arkham Asylum, that didn't seem like anything that you would picture Kevin Conroy's voice in. And even with the animation style of this one in Public Enemies, you don't really picture Kevin Conroy's voice there either. So I'm kind of like in the middle. I love to keep hearing Kevin Conroy as Batman, but there's certain parts of me that says, you know, maybe it is time to move on. Although I, at the same time, I also don't like how every time Batman appears in one of these DC animated films, he's voiced by somebody different. I, I find that a little annoying. Especially Billy Baldwin, who I thought was oh, God, awful. Yeah. Um, I was really impressed with uh, what's his name from uh, New Frontier. I'm trying to remember, oh, he was... Jeremy Cistro or Cistro? Yeah. And if you go back to Clueless, you can see Batman kicking Batgirl out of a car. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Crypto had just within the last couple of years before this come back to the the, the continuity and Jeff Loeb brought him back and then seemed to not really know what to do with him outside of showing that he's not the hyper intelligent dog of the pre-crisis that he's really a dog and the fact that he doesn't like her I guess was to cast suspicion on her but uh, he is a super dog because most dogs wouldn't wear a cape like that for an extended period of time at least mine wouldn't so and yes, I've tried. So, Michael, do you know why um, kryptonite affects Superman so badly? 
D- uh, depending on the um, the origin uh, around this time, since they were still doing the burn origin, the Krypton exploded because there was pressures within the planet that were fusing, uh, compressing it, basically. And when it did that compression, it created a new metal that was radioactive, and that was kryptonite. It was actually killing the people of Krypton. Uh, They were all dying of what they called the Green Death. And the the, the twist that Byrne brought is that, yeah, it, it affects Superman in particular because he's Kryptonian, but it would eventually kill uh, a human being as well. Lex Luthor lost his hand and eventually faked his own death and got cloned in this thing that I could go on for hours about but don't feel like it. Um, Thank you. And, <laughs> and uh, in the pre-crisis days, it was just, it blew up and that did something to it, so now it affects Superman. So there, there's not really a, a, a clear scientific reasoning behind it. Uh, unless they have done something more recently uh, to um, to change that. This was a, a really interesting way to, to reintroduce Kara Zor-El into the comics. With, you know, she, she died during the crisis, and they, they tried several times to get a Supergirl going. They had the Matrix, who was a protoplasmic blob, and then she formed uh, or bonded with an Earth Angel uh, and a girl named Linda Danvers in the Peter David series, which if you haven't read it, I recommend it highly because it was an amazingly well-written story. But um, when they brought her back, and, and, and I think it was a a clear plan on the part of the writers that it, it was going to be Kara Zor-El but it was going to be a completely different dynamic to the character right down to the fact that you know as they reveal she was sent before Kal-El to take care of him and now she has to deal with the fact that she's older than him but is 16 and he's physically older than she is and doesn't need to be taken care of and it was a great setup that they completely botched for the first couple of years after this storyline. <laughs> Who shopped for her? I mean, did Lois just pick up a couple of outfits, or...? It was just something clearly laying around, so... <laughs> from Lois's trip up to the fortress. I think in the comic it does say that Lois, uh... gave her some things. <laughs> epic shot of Apocalypse. I know Apocalypse. <laughs> there. It, was, it, it was interesting how they, they decided to change the spelling of Apocalypse in the title of the film compared to what it really was about. I found that a little interesting. Kind of, kind of annoying that they didn't call it Superman, Batman, Supergirl. Which is, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, the the, the original title for the storyline was, uh, I believe, that you know, Supergirl, the, the girl from Krypton or something like that. Uh, and then, you know, they change it for the trade paperback because they want a simpler, uh, more punchy title. 
and then they do Apocalypse here, and Supergirl isn't even really on the cover of the DVD. And I don't know if they thought that a, a female character couldn't sell a DVD, but I think, you know, if you put Supergirl on the cover and put her in the costume that Michael Turner designed, people would, would buy it. Because, well, as we discussed before, fan by, fanboys like to see girls in skimpy outfits. Yeah, and that kind of leads back to some of the other ideas because even in the titles, you know, they feature Wonder Woman symbol as one of the characters uh-huh. that is going to appear in the film. And, I mean, Wonder Woman has a role, I wouldn't say her role is, you know, obviously it's nowhere near as big as Supergirl's role in this film, but it is interesting how the whole, even though this story is all really about Supergirl, it was kind of left as, well, this is a Superman-Batman film. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of disappointing because, I mean, most of the uh, of the the characters in the film are women. You know, well, arguably Granny Goodness, uh, <laughs> you know, could be considered a woman or not. But you know, especially since uh, she's voiced by Ed Asner as she was in the <laughs> Superman animated series, which was awesome. Yeah. I was kind of disappointed in Andre Brower's performance. I was expecting a lot more of him. Um, because I really like him as an actor, and I think uh, I think he didn't bring enough gravitas to uh, to Darkseid. Um, uh, he he had some stiff competition, and I, I don't mean the guy that did the voice in the Superpowers cartoon, because that was just Frank Welker talking like uh, Mister Claw from Inspector Gadget. But um, <laughs> but uh, you know, you had Michael Ironside who nailed the character. Here's someone that if you don't know anything about DC Comics, you would have no idea who Harbinger is. Yeah. I wish he has blonde hair, though, or her vision wouldn't be so ambiguous. <laughs> I, uh, I was really disappointed in Harbinger's involvement in this story simply because I like the character. And this really wasn't the Harbinger that had been presented before. It's very bizarre, you know. Jeff Loeb just used the name and, 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 and put it on a what could have just been another random oracle from Paradise Island. And to get back to the naming of the, the DVD, I mean, this came out at the same time that they said they weren't going to have any more female-led movies. So I wonder if they were a little scared because yeah. Wonder Woman obviously did not have the sales that they wanted, although she's a huge... I mean, she's one of the, the trinity of the, the superheroes, and that was an awesome nah, movie, so... But, uh... Yeah, it was actually funny because, if you remember correctly, so I, I was I, I interviewed you for our normal podcast yeah. about, you know, the petition that you, you were doing for Batgirl Year One, and at that same time, it was it was just around that same time that they announced that this was going to be the film. And it was interesting finding out that the story was going to be based off of the Superman, Batman, Supergirl storyline. To me, I just, I found that really interesting after not only, not it was almost as if it was like an answer to the, the Bruce Tim comments that blew up all over the internet about not having females as leads in the films. It was just completely... It blew my mind. It was like, okay, well, obviously, this is, uh, they're really pressing this now earlier than they needed to because of the crazy comments that blew up. I'd really like to think, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
I just uh, we just saw Supergirl get her ears pierced, but I was wondering how they managed to do that. <laughs> pretty much indestructible. Maybe they were clip-ons. Well, well, Superman was sitting behind the guy using his ex- his heat vision oh, to do a pinpoint hole. I- I'd really like to thank Richard Lester, the director of Superman 2 and 3, for coming in and doing a, a bit of guest directing on this scene. Because what the hell is this scene doing in this movie? Are we talking about the uh, the clothing scene? Yeah, the shopping scene. It's just like this yeah. bit of comedic, uh, like, like uh, I can't think of the term I want to use, but a bit of comedy in, in a in a movie that really didn't need it. Because <laughs> nothing really bad has happened yet. You usually like to use comedy to kind of break up the more serious moments of the film, and here we're, we're, we're kind of having a completely different tone from the, the rest of the film, and yeah, but it was in the comics. That's true. I, I will. I will go because I, I after I watched this, I did have to make sure I had to double take and go back and read the issues to make sure that this was actually in it because it just seems so out of place, and I couldn't recall it from when I read it when it first came out. But I, 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 I don't know. The, the, the thing is, I said this when when uh, we reviewed the when we reviewed this movie after it came out. I said. It it just seemed odd that uh, according to Clark Kent to, to be a uh, a teenage girl you have to shop and eat hot dogs. Yeah. Well, I guess he like the rest of the the population don't understand teenage girls then. <laughs> so. Well, no, be, you know, because I had that discussion with my wife as we watched this, and uh, you know, she wasn't like that as a teenage girl, but she knew plenty of other teenage girls that were like that. So. Um, you know, it, it's not so far off. The uh, Jeffrey Bridges, who wrote a review of the film for the Superman homepage, really had a problem with that scene. I remember he found it to be very sexist and 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 kind of kind of insulting to the character of Supergirl. That you know, that, that instead of making her, I guess, more of a of a Buffy type character who has a lot of more depth than your average kind of airheaded teenage girl they they had to give that to her this whole sequence is it's almost like it's lifted right out of the comic uh just in terms of the color the, the you know the lighting and everything it's kind of, it's just really cool and here starts the part of the story that just pisses me off to no end <laughs> This is yeah. This is a little bit different because they made it seem in the movie, at least, that Bruce is in on this. But in the comic, it seemed like he was unaware. You know, I reread this right before the film came out because I knew I wanted to re uh, to to have it fresh in my head before um, before I watched it. And for some reason, I remember him being there, but it's it's possible that he wasn't. Yeah, he was following them because he he was just kind of like Richard Nixon this entire comics here. I mean, he was just very... There has to be some alternative motive for her being here. Susan Eisenberg reprising her role as uh, Wonder Woman. That's really really annoyed me. Um, They say, look around, look what she's done. But only because they attacked her. If they hadn't done that, there would have been no damage. That that kind of feeds into part of my problem with this entire part of the story is that basically 
two of Superman's closest friends in the superhero community have gotten together and basically said, you know, we're taking your decision out of this. We don't care what you think. You know, we're going to take her off because we know best. And, you know, basically what they just told Superman is this girl's Kryptonian. She, she, you and her are the last of your kind, but you're not going to have any say in what happens to her because you're not being objective. And it's like, why are you being that insulting to somebody that you respect? And it just feels like forced tension amongst the Trinity, and I've never really bought into the whole Trinity thing. Because if you look at the history of DC, these three characters don't really have a lot to do with each other. You know, Superman and Batman do, but Wonder Woman, historically, was always kind of on her own, except for the Justice League stories. I think that's true, but I think definitely now, modern-wise, we certainly make them out to be the Trinity. Well, it was a marketing stunt. Uh, yeah. And simple. You know, Matt Wagner did that really great three-issue series, uh, and they thought, well, we can hang it. And to me, it was never about the Trinity. It was always about the Magnificent Seven of Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, Flash, Aquaman, and the Martian Manhunter, and Wonder Woman. You know, they were the pillars of the DC Universe, and to put it all on these three characters, just so you can use that as a plot point in Infinite Crisis, just always kind of irked me. Here's something that always confuses me. Watch. Watch closely. Okay. How does her hair all of a sudden go through that hole in the back? She just puts it on. I, I, I never understand that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just never understand it. All of a sudden. All she has to do is slip it on and it's all. It all makes sense. It's really interesting to see how far Artemis has come as a character. Though I really like the fact that they made her... She's not skinny. No. She is a she is a well-muscled woman, more like you would think of what an Amazon would be, and I, and I, and I kind of appreciated that. Or Xena the Warrior Princess. Oh, yes. yeah. And shame on Warner Brothers for never doing a Wonder Woman movie in the 90s so that they could have Lucy Lawless play that character. Oh, yes. <laughs> But at least she got to voice her in New Frontier. Not a fan, I guess? <laughs> no, no, I'm a huge fan of that movie. I just think Wonder Woman was portrayed really, really badly in that movie. That She was kind of like a really huge feminist in that movie. I mean, the, given the time that the, the the movie takes place, it makes sense. But at the same time, there's just—I'm sorry—I just have a huge problem with the first time we meet Wonder Woman, her having drinks with a bunch of—I uh, think it was Vietnamese females—and because she's trying to cause them to to uh, uprise against the, ma- the 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 males in their villages and stuff. I okay, that that's. That's a little bit further than I think Wonder Woman needs to go. And the fact that she's so upset when uh, Superman shows up to tell her she needs to stop doing what she's doing. Here's a here's another little problem with with the the story is that you know she didn't want to go with them, and now that she's there, she doesn't want to go away. And it's just, I, I guess, maybe they're just trying to show that he she is kind of 
a teenager still and not really not so much not capable of making her own decisions but doesn't really know what she wants but it just it seems like there's a lot of two-dimensional characterization throughout this story which I like a lot I don't know why I'm being so critical of it well I think also I mean she was forced to go there and I think she made the best out of that situation and she does become close with Harbinger so perhaps you know she did come to enjoy Themyscira I just think that it set the tone for, up until recently, the animosity between Superman and Supergirl that always kind of bugged me because, you know, to me, the point of having a family of characters to surround the main hero is to have a family. And yes, families argue, but it seemed like for the longest time of after, especially after Jeff Loeb left the ongoing Supergirl series that the, the, their entire relationship was I don't like you so I don't want to be around you and you're old and you're stodgy and you're cramping my style and it, it's just like you, you two are the only of your kind you know <laughs> you gotta come together whereas now maybe not so much around that point in the Batman verse uh, no I would say because that was after Batman got the stick out of his butt and uh, started uh, trying to have a, a, a sense of family with, with oh. those around him after being kind of a jerk right before the crisis because now I've said it before and I'll say it again DC's characterization around the time of this story was the door to door vacuum cleaner style of storytelling where the guy comes in to sell a vacuum cleaner and he pours dirt all over your carpet and then vacuums it and go, oh look what I did I made it clean and basically they broke the toys to fix them to go, oh look, we fixed the problem so oh lord and let's start overusing Doomsday because yeah, this that, there was definitely something that when I first read the comic, it just seemed like, do we really need to have Doomsday? Well, it just waters down the character. Doomsday and Venom have so much in common <laughs> as villains, oh, and gosh. you know when they first appeared, it was really awesome because they were something you'd never seen before with their respective heroes. And after a while, it's like, it's Tuesday, Doomsday is going to show up because we need to have, you know, we just need the big bruiser to come back. And it makes the character lose all of its punch of, this is the guy that killed Superman. Especially this scene specifically. (laughs) Because, okay, we see Batman with the battle axe. I just have to say Batman with the battle axe. But, um, this scene right here just completely... Diminishes the 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 effect that Doomsday has had in comics, you know, especially obviously when he first came around in the early '90s with the whole death of Superman. But like the fact that he, all these Doomsdays, even if they're clones, they're so easily taken out. It, mm-hmm. it just it makes Doomsday as if he's he's not really that important. And I'm sorry, but Batman with the Battle Axe, as awesome as that is, it's it's not likely that uh, he's going to be able to take Doomsday out. The, the, the problem 
And and I'm going to blame Grant Morrison for this. And when I say that, don't take that as me bashing Grant Morrison. It's just Grant Morrison is the one that established the idea that if Batman had 30 seconds and a stick of Wrigley's gum, he could figure out you know how to take anybody down. Um, it's just that to make Batman you know play with the big boys, so to speak. You know they have to make him look like he can do anything. And I'm sorry. I love Batman to death, but Batman versus Darkseid? That's like a 30-second fight, unless Batman brings a gun. But, um... <laughs> sorry, that was a little more cynical than I wanted it to be, but it's That's just... Okay. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> it's but, true. But, you know, Batman is, is a... Fi- I love Batman. I, you know, a couple years ago, I sat down and literally read 20 years worth of Batman stories from the end of the Crisis on Infinite Earths right up to War Games. You know, all the titles, all this, you know, like Catwoman and Asriel and Robin. And I love that character, but he serves a very specific purpose in the DC Universe, and that is not to deal with cosmic-level threats. And Doomsday any day of the week is a cosmic level threat, especially since he's coming through on a boom tube here. Uh, And, you know, the the thing that bugs me is that everything in this fight was leading to the moment we're about to see, which Superman should have done right at the freaking beginning. But to have a really cool fight scene where all the Amazons are together and they're fighting Doomsday and everyone's kicking ass and taking names and all that, you know... We have to. I just never understood the placement of this scene. Well, in the comics, weren't they really concerned, or he was at least, you know, that they may have been some sort of living, living being? So he still is kind of thinking about his, his motto of not to kill any living thing, even though it's dark side. But then once they found out that it was just a clone and it didn't bleed, then he was like, okay, I guess it's okay to kill them. I just gotta, somehow, every, somehow everybody figured that out at the same time. Yeah. I just like um, how Superman has vaporized everyone, but there are still wounded Athenians on the floor. So he's probably just vaporized <laughs> them as well. <laughs> well, it's selective heat vision. Batman did it. Oh, dear. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> See, I don't understand why he... Why is he just letting her sit there in the water? Why does it have to be Superman that... Yeah. Because he's the GD Batman. But he shows uh, he's really cold in this movie. I don't I, even his uh, design. I think is is darker than it normally is. Just like oh. a a perpetual grimace on his face. But really, not even pull a dead girl out of the water. Why why couldn't he do that? He spends three quarters of the movie wrapped in his own cape, like it's Linus's security blanket. I mean, it's. <laughs> I just, uh... What do you think about the designs of the characters? Because I think Superman is really feminine. And I don't like Batman's cowl. I think the nose is too pointy. It, you know, it it looks great as a static image. uh, Even though images have a certain life in comics. It looks better uh, as a two-dimensional thing. When you start trying to bring it to three-dimensional... And this was dro- driven home when I got the action figures, the DC Direct figures that they released around this time. And uh, I don't know if anybody else 
Gotham and had this problem, but I could not stand Supergirl up to save my life. I always had to lean her against a book or something. But uh, you look at the designs, and they're they're stylized, but they they don't really look all that good. But they're supposed to. It's it's like there's you know you're supposed to get in the hive mind mentality of Gross. you know <laughs> of well it's Michael Turner, so it looks awesome. And, and believe me, at a, at a certain point, if you made fun of Michael Turner online, people would yell at you. Oh, yeah. Because yep. it, cause it yep. happened yep. to me. <laughs> oh. But uh, I had a guy call me out for not liking his covers uh, before he died. Um, but everybody's design, I mean, Superman, the S looks funky to me. And he, he's, he's kind of like Brandon Routh. He's mostly torso. Uh and, and it makes it, and I have to agree with you, he does look kind of feminine looking, whereas, you know, you you have the Ed uh, McGinnis Superman, who is built exactly like the Ed McGinnis Batman, who's built exactly like the Ed McGinnis Captain Adam. I mean, you look at those figures, it's like, my God, they just replaced the head. But um, here it just looks really weird. But I think where the artwork works is with the characters from Apocalypse, and I think that's where Turner's designs really flourish, because I think Big Barda, as we're about to see, looks awesome. Yeah, Yeah, this is one of my favorite scenes. I very much enjoy it. To think that, yeah, Big Barda and uh, Scott Free would be living in an... And I I don't know who would go out in that sort of get-up with the rolls in the hair, but, you know, to each his own. This is well. That that was playing off of the Jam De Mateus written Mister Miracle series from the early '90s, where <laughs> Scott Free and Big Barda and Oberon went to live in the suburbs. Oh dear! And and and, and tried to have a normal life while being, you know, superheroes. Yeah. Of course, man. Of course, Batman's there. He found a way. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I was reading this, I I thought, well. Not everyone would answer the door in a towel. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure, even if they're not answering the door, they wouldn't be walking around with a towel, only a towel on, with their window shades open with nosy neighbors. <laughs> yeah, and that towel's <laughs> practically falling down, let's be honest. Yep. And with Superman's X-ray vision, it could get into a <laughs> lot of oh there. Well, she kind of looks like, you know, a really built Lois, so... And that's probably why Superman has that look on his face. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Sitting there thinking if if he can get like a little big Barda outfit to bring home, but uh, that's entirely beside no, the he, point. He, he, he just wants a hall pass. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's the DC series that needs to happen where uh, all the married characters of the DC yeah. universe. We, we don't, we don't, we don't need uh, Blackest Night, Brightest Day, Flashpoint. We need. DC Hall Pass. One of my favorite... Your, oh, go ahead. No, when all your favorite characters can uh, do things they would never otherwise do. Oh, dear. That could be very bad. Story-wise, this is a very bizarre scene. They, they're, you know, they're, they're asking a really big favor of Big Barda here. Yeah. <laughs> they really are. It's, it, it's not, you know we need your help, come with us. It's like, look, you stay here, we're just going to go take care of, you know, things from your planet. Uh, but you get to stay here. 
Uh, one of my favorite parts in the comic is that when they're argue, arguing, uh, Barda and Superman, Barda is actually taller than Superman, so he has to levitate a little bit so he can be eye-to-eye with her. And they didn't include that in here, but I thought it was so funny and clever in the, in the actual comic. Oddly enough, that was the first time I had noticed that Wonder Woman was taller than Superman in New Frontier. Oh, an yeah. animated movie. Yep. Yep. Because I never noticed, I'd read that comic a hundred times, and I had never noticed it. Um, it's a great bit of subtle characterization. They eat a lot of Wheaties over there in Themyscira. Well, Amazons are supposed to be tall. They're also supposed to have one breast, but you won't yeah. sell Warner Brothers <laughs> on that. So, <laughs> but apparently, the only way you can bring Wonder Woman to. Uh, to TV is to have her be live in LA and be a corporate woman and Elizabeth oh, villain. Yeah. So. Diana Prince basically. But no, I mean Kirby, I mean um Turner is kind of really when you think about it artistically is kind of the anti Kirby. You know, Kirby is very blocky and Turner is very uh you know, very much in 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 shapely characters, but he draws these characters and gives this world to the point where it doesn't really matter because it still looks like a Kirby, uh, you know, Kirby creation. And all these guys look like they ate too much cheese. <laughs> um, this is, for some reason, my least favorite scene, and I feel like it was just lazy animation because I swear we see the same thing at least five times. Just wondering how the little... Oh, there's there's the third strike of the sword. That's pretty much the same thing. Just wondering why the uh, it's that the same lion that vehicle they from the Thundercats got in here. That's kind of bizarre. Maybe, uh, Michael. Maybe you can explain this. So, how is it that Superman? can take on a blast of fire and somehow stop it in its tracks. Um, it doesn't engulf him. It doesn't go around him. It, he just stops it. And somehow he can punch fire. How does that work? <laughs> I've, I always put that under the it looks cool, so we're going to do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the beginning of like the old Super Friends cartoon where he's punching meteors. But yeah. an, animation-wise... It harkens back to the Fleischer cartoons, where in that first short, uh, which has become now known as the Mad Scientist, he's being hit with that ray blast, and you have those little, you know, the musical cues are in time with him getting hit, and then the music flourishes, the Superman theme comes up, and he just starts punching at it. Um, Because, I hate that thing. When I got my action figure, I almost threw it away. I just stuck it in a drawer. I just wanted wow. the Batman figure right there. Uh, I know Batman's all about gadgets, but that thing looks silly. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I wondered why Scott would have that, because it seems like something that Orion would have. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, because Scott it is It reminded flying. me of uh, the, the Justice League Unlimited line of characters... Uh, the action figures Orion actually came with, like a, a oh pack, yeah, jetpack, almost exactly like that. He was just on his back and came around underneath instead of on the sides. Gross. 
I'm, I'm just going to go. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, at least Barda has, like, something that's between her and the sewage. But, but Wonder Woman is, like, bare-legged in that sewage. That's how Amazons do it. She, oh, is, not, she is not <laughs> going to feel all that fresh after this oh, adventure. Oh, oh yikes. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I, I actually somewhat prefer George Newbern as Superman uh, in these types of situations. And when I say that, Tim Daly was great for the animated series because they explored not only Superman, but they explored Clark Kent as well. Even though there really wasn't much of a difference in his voice of when he was Clark and when he was Superman. Uh, very George Reeves in that way. But for Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, I thought Newburn had a kind of an edge to him that they were trying to bring to the character. And it really worked for, a, you know, like Superman in the Justice League. So in, in, in things like this, even though it's really great to hear Tim Daly's voice, and now I can't watch Tim Daly on things without hearing Superman, which was very odd when he was in an episode of Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Um, <laughs> but I'm assuming he was playing the bad guy. He almost did. It turns out the wife did it, but he was playing a priest, uh, a uh, religious figure that was in a scandal and might have killed his lover, uh, but it turned out to be the wife, because you have to have the twist. Um, I'd like to see M. Night Shyamalan direct an order, uh, an episode of Law and Order Special Victims Unit, actually. I don't know why, but just to have that <laughs> twist at the end. <laughs> why are these things talking? <laughs> <laughs> they are kind of strange. Though I do... I, I do have to say, for, for Public Enemy in this, Superman as kind of being angry is, is kind of hard to pull off because he is normally the character that isn't, you know, you, know, you don't have to play him as a goody two-shoes, but he's going to be the guy to keep his cool because he is so powerful and he knows he can handle the situation. But when you hit him emotionally... Uh, like they're doing here, uh, because of his, you know, his cousin's involvement. Yeah. The animation, the fight scene here is just beautiful. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. The uh, but for angry Superman can come off as almost being silly, so it's a really fine line because you really don't expect Superman to have tough guy lines. So when you do it, it's got to be absolutely dead on perfect, and I think they uh, they captured that in this. Yeah, I think uh, DC has gotten so much better at choreography because they just could never have done this in one of the animated series way back when. But that, that wonderful scene between Wonder Woman and Lashina and Lashina's crazy rope there was just fantastic. Uh, it's just, you know, the, the, the language of action in these things ha- has gotten, you know... The, the, for one thing, they're they're not pitching it to you know Fox Kids or you know the Kids WB, so it can be a little uh, more complicated and violent because you're just allowed to do it because it's a PG thirteen movie. Um, but you know the, the, in the commentaries to Justice League, they would talk about oh we would never been able to do this because we didn't have the technology because of the the way animation was in the early 90s. Though it's really funny to watch those early episodes of Batman and see how 
freaking ahead of their time they were, so they do have that kind of timeless quality to them, even though some of the earlier episodes, you have the rubbery Batmobile. Hmm. Um, well, you also have a lot of the same backgrounds. When they show Gotham City, a lot of the times, it's almost the exact same backdrops. Yeah. And that's how Batman got his new ace, the Bat Hound. I want just once them to go, screw it, we're putting the S on the cape. Oh, yeah. I know why they don't do it, but I just want to see him do it. I know it would probably drive a lot of people crazy, but how many shots of Superman from behind are you going to do? Granny Goodness has obviously been on the Jenny Craig system in this movie because she looks a little thinner than she usually does. Yeah, it's very... Well, she's been having a lot of extracurricular activities with uh, Darkseid, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, didn't they have... That's what they did in the animated series. Calabac was... Oh, not Calabac. Orion was apparently their son, remember? Oh, dear, so violent. I don't remember that. Yeah. The female Furies are an interesting creation. I, uh, oh, dear, Matt Harriet. Yeah, Matt Harriet. Stompa. That's my favorite name ever, by the way. Stompa! Lashina actually is the one breakaway star because for a while there she was actually in Suicide Squad, the the John Ostrander series, as a character called Duchess, and it was a big secret and a big mystery as to who he who she was, and it turned out that she was just Lashina stuck on Earth. But the whole uh, the whole backstory of Big Barda being a female fury and breaking away because Scott Free showed her the way. Um, uh, I <laughs> the thing about the Kirby verse is that it's really awesome, but no one since Kirby has really gotten it right. Oh dear. Everyone tries to play with it. It, this is like the uh, the Princess Leia slave outfit, but for Supergirl. And hooker boots. Oh, gosh. There should or be, like, go-go goldfish go-go in them. Yeah, go-go boots. <laughs> These boots were made for well, shoving up <laughs> your rectum. <laughs> now, these boots were made for flying, apparently. <laughs> be funny if, if we could find out if they kind of dangled a little bit because they got a little more weight on them than normal boots. By the way, this isn't like the pre-crisis Supergirl, we swear to God. Oh, I, I always found it kind of interesting, though, that the same issue that Supergirl first appeared in in Action 252 was also the first appearance of Metallo in a separate story where he was a reporter of all things so Smallville actually was pretty close on that one Ooh. 
What? We don't we don't know how it happened. It just happened. So let's just go with it. <laughs> Death groans. He needs some tums. You know, if I had something that could create a fire pit, which is like a you know gigantic hole in a planet, yeah, I'd put them all in one room. Because nothing bad could happen there. I wonder what kind of OSHA that Apocalypse has. And did they got a guy that, that, that tried to complain and Darkseid just vaporized him with his uh, Omega Beams? <laughs> it's funny how uh, Big Bard is able to just break out of those... break out of the... the whip at the end of that whole fight. Yeah. She just sat there the entire time tied up and then all of a sudden, ah! <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, are we going to have something that's realistic or are we going to have something that just looks really cool at the end of the fight? And sometimes I want the thing that looks really cool at the end of the fight and sometimes I want something realistic. So it's a... Just Personally, I think it. it was a burst of gamma and, uh... Yeah. She just had this burst of energy and she ripped it apart. Oh. Now, I'm not super familiar with the location of Apocalypse, but is it anywhere near a sun that they could be getting their powers from? Um, the fourth world was always kind of like separate from the universe. From, depending on the, the story you were reading. So, I guess they're just going on the fact that Superman has solar radiation stored in his, uh, in his body, so he's able to... Uh, he and Supergirl would be able to be, uh, you know, have their powers on a place without a yellow sun. Uh, otherwise, you know, they'd just be normal, and they'd both be, you know, kind of vaporized at this point. But going with that, the more they use their powers, the weaker they should become, if that's how it works. But it's something that's never addressed, because if you start addressing that, then the story has to start making a little more sense, and you don't have the big dramatic fight in front of the fire pit. So, uh, But, I, yeah. The, I think it's interesting how it has the uh, same atmosphere, obviously, as Earth, because Batman can still breathe. <laughs> yeah. Peter David did something really interesting in Supergirl where he had the Linda Danvers Supergirl travel to Apocalypse but not through a, a boom tube and when she got there she was like Ray Palmer size because apparently if you don't travel because apparently everybody on Apocalypse are giants because they're gods so when they travel through the boom tube to Earth they're brought down to a more human scale, which I thought was an interesting concept. That was never talked about again. I do wonder... Uh, I guess they make it seem like Supergirl was really susceptible to mind control, or it was just really easy. I, I just wonder how that went... Um, oh, it's because she's, you know, she's a teenager. She's manipulative. Or, I, I, th I think that was kind of what they were going for, is that she was emotionally shaky to begin with. Yeah. And I kind of like the concept of a dark side that doesn't force you to 
to serve him, but makes you believe that that's what you should do. And that that kind of makes him a more evil character. You know, it's it's not like a mad dictator. It's Adolf Hitler. You know, who who you know, and that was kind of brought home in the la- in Legacies Part One and Two of the last episodes of Superman the Animated Series. Superman beats him. But all the people of Apocalypse go to help Darkseid because he's completely subjugated them and they don't know any other way. So you have this, like, impressionable young girl that's being torn in 16 different uh, uh, directions. It's, it's kind of like, you know, the, the women that fell in with Charles Manson almost. You know, they were impressionable to begin with and, the, and he gave them away. So Darkseid gave her a way of feeling good about herself and making it seem like it was her idea. So you're saying she drank the Kool-Aid and she drank it willingly? I would say so, especially given, you know, the fight that is going on here. It just seemed like they weren't gone for a long time. I mean, all they had to do was, okay, let's talk about what we need to do. Let's see Barda and let's go. And so what was that, two days at most? And Unless mm-hmm. time passes differently on Apocalypse. True. And Batman goes and spends the next two weeks in a body cast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Batman versus Darkseid is not a fight that should happen. I did love the bit when he just uh, went to the guard, give me your armor. It reminds me so much of Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> Lip gloss. Well, because... Well, the, the, she, she's back on Earth. She, you know, she has to look like an Earth girl. <laughs> But she was unconscious. Who put the lip gloss on? Wonder Woman. Well, that's the creepy part. <laughs> okay. It was Batman. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was Batman. He sat there. He puts there. it on better than her. Remember, she smeared it all over her face. Yeah, it was clearly not Superman, because he couldn't even take care of his own face. So. That's very true. He's, he's all scuffed up. He got, you know, she, she, she bounded him. Because one of the things that they tried to establish very early on with this new Supergirl is that she's more powerful than Superman. And on one hand, that's kind of a cool concept. On the other hand, it seems like a really forced way of making her more of an equal than she needed to be right off. It's like, it's like, oh, she's not only is she new, but she's, she's stronger than Superman. So, ha. And it, 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 I don't know if any of you watched the Supergirl featurette that they had on the second disc of the two disc of this where they basically just took the Supergirl uh, featurette from that season of Smallville and put it on this um, but that, that, that's, how it, that's how it came off that they were doing it just to show up Superman and the reason that it bothers me you know I, I joke that I am a Superman apologist but even I can see a bad Superman story for what it is but what does bug me is when people purposefully, writers and creators, purposefully make him look foolish just because he is super, he is Superman and they have to take him down a peg. And that's what it struck me with making Supergirl more powerful than him, is, oh, we got to take Superman down a peg because, you know, obviously she can't be a good, strong character on her own. We have to do all these things to force that. 
We never did comment about the fact that Summer Glau right now is voicing uh, Kara, uh, which was different, obviously, than the animated series, but I think she does a nice job. And it's also amusing because when people ask me who would play Barbara Gordon in a live-action movie, the majority of people that I talk to would really like to see Summer Glau do it. Oh, she's doing a great job of it on the cape. (laughs) Very true, yeah. I don't see why she wouldn't. Well, she she could have that position, or she could have the opportunity with the cape being canceled. <laughs> well, the the thing about Summer Glau being Supergirl, as opposed to um, I forget her name, uh, who did it for the animated series. It's like, do do you want you know the the woman from Firefly who could kick a lot of ass and and the, and the female Terminator, or do you want the oldest daughter from the nanny? Uh, yeah, I mean, the good comparison is if we had the same voice as the person who voiced her for uh, Justice League, I don't think that would have worked at all because that would have just made this character even more immature than it already is. Yeah, she was great for that version of the character uh, right out of Smallville, um, the TV series, that sign. Um she was great for Superman and then Justice League, and she even matured voice-wise during Justice League, especially from her first appearance on Justice League Unlimited, when she was kind of the bratty, uh, like, immature one that would stick her tongue out at Captain Atom, to mm-hmm. when she decided to stay in the future and made an adult decision on her own. There's a subtle shift in her voice, but here you needed somebody that had a, a good emotional weight to her, and, and it's... She fries them all with her heat vision. As as someone who grew up at a house that had chickens, chickens would never walk between anybody's legs. (laughs) And the rooster would come and attack them. My my mom grew up on a farm, and she told me of the the time her and her brothers and sisters put the rooster on trial, found him guilty, and hung him. Because he was so mean. (laughs) That's another thing there. How did Supergirl break a nail? Oh, very true. I don't know. They wanted to make her more like a girl, right? Because girls just like Babs and her dams. We had to make uh... (laughs) dams. Yeah, you know. You make the word "dam" sound dirty, by the way. I just want you to know that. That's the way it was portrayed in the Batgirl's costume cut-ups. What can I say? Now, coming up, I think is the best change that they made from the original comic to this in involving Kara in the fight as opposed to making it seem like she died. Yeah, transporting her. That's a great shot of Clark with the shirt ripped open and looking all... (laughs) Well, that didn't work out for either of you, did it? (laughs) Suddenly there's little bits of popcorn all around her. <laughs> what is an omega beam exactly? Uh, it's a Kirby creation, so it really doesn't matter. Okay, <laughs> I know it's... he can make it go anywhere he wants to, but I just wonder, like, what is it made of? That's a, a nice, uh, subtle reference to the fight between Darkseid and Superman in Legacy Part Two. Oh, very true. And I do remember that Batman was the only human that escaped his Omega Beams in the very end of Justice League Unlimited. Because Batman can do anything. Oh, he, yeah. Yes, he can. 
Ex- even put on lip gloss, as we have found out. <laughs> it's like that cartoon <laughs> strip where suddenly Batman's in space, and they're like, Batman, how are you breathing in, in space? And he goes, because I'm Batman, and I can breathe in space. <laughs> when all else fails, he just says, I am Batman. Convenient how she doesn't land on the chickens. Yeah, but it's okay that we can trash the Kent house. Oh, the chickens! So now wow. that's another one. That 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 ball that surrounds him—it just seems so odd. Reminds me of Superman fighting the fire with his fists. Yeah. It's physics. We don't have to explain it. It's true. Blame it on quantum. There's um, a lot of anime feel to this fight. But we are not going to expose the Tatas. We'll Thankfully. have every shred of her claw- clothes rip except covering her breasts and her buttocks. <laughs> yeah, technically everything should be off because hey, it was nothing just would be a able slide. to follow this. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Stella. I apologize. Oh, no, no. I mean, just... But that always bothered me in the shows, too. You know, Superman's going through fire. Wait, shouldn't his whole costume be off right now? Well, no, because he has an aura that extends about a centimeter around his oh, body. Oh, my makes gosh. <laughs> you asked. Oh, wow. <laughs> so why isn't it the same for Supergirl here? Um, because that... She hasn't she has mastered that power yet. Yeah. <laughs> It is interesting how this, oh, all, this entire film takes place over maybe three or four days. Yeah. And it took Superman as long as it did for him to, you know, really control his powers. And all it took for Supergirl was to go, you know, to Themyscira and uh, work with them for a couple hours. And somehow she's mastered everything. I got the I got the sense that she was there for like a week or so. Yeah. Just an extended period of time. Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. I would agree with that in some regards because she, I mean she made friends, she had relationships, and obviously that doesn't happen over a few hours for most people. But then again, she's a teenage girl, and her her and Harbinger were best friends, and they stayed up all night talking and eating popcorn and looking through stone etchings because obviously they don't have like TV or anything. So I, I got to do something. They talked about ancient literature. I suppose it might also be another reference to how she's more powerful than Superman, so she might be able to control her powers quicker. Yes, let's throw Superman towards the thing that gives him his powers. That was a that was a good idea there, Darkseid. That was a good tactical maneuver. On a side note, it looked like those cows needed milking. <laughs> Superman says, you're not leaving yet. And Superman has had enough of you, by the way. (laughs) And that did it. What? (laughs) How did you think that was going to go, (laughs) Darkseid? Darkseid has amazing balance. 
I really want to see the sequel to this movie where Clark and Kara spend like the next hour or two rebuilding the entire farm. And by well, the way, the comp- I, yeah. I, I know the Kents are secluded, but someone's got to notice what's going on. At <laughs> I remember in the comic Flash runs and it was like repaired or being repaired when Martha and Pa Kent actually return. There was a there was a holiday special, I think it was maybe in two thousand seven or two thousand eight, where there's this big fight between Superman and I believe Toy Man and a house gets completely obliterated and at the end of the story Superman has rebuilt the entire house using his super speed and all his skills. And then on top of that, you know, does Batman show up? No, but he sends uh, Alfred to uh, offer the guy a job. You know, that stuff kind of always happens in the Batman comics and the animated series. What if the guy was really lousy at his job? Yeah. (laughs) You've just messed I guess, up. I guess you just assume that uh, you know when when you have bad things happen to you, bad things only happen to good people. So that's at least the way the DC universe goes by. Yeah, and they all end up getting put into like a, a slave labor, and Batman loses his memory. Oh dear. Oh, I remember. That. I just watched that. <laughs> I totally know what you're talking about. And that fat guy that walks around, and yeah. Superman looks like Two-Face at the moment. Yes, oh, very true. <laughs> or Eclipso. I, uh... But no, I just really liked her being involved in the fight because it, it made her more of a force in this particular version of the story. Um, a chicken. Which actually makes it even more annoying that she wasn't part of the title or really evident on the cover. yeah. yeah. And now Darkseid looks like Mr. Freeze. <laughs> he's he's about to crash land on Coruscant. That's or what they don't tell you. The anti the anti uh, planet. Quard? Oh, I thought you meant antimatter universe. I apologize. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have perfect timing for the Kens to show up. This is kind of a nice... Completely out of place. Hi, Jedediah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they... (laughs) Where do you think they were going wearing suits? Maybe it was church. Church That's about the only thing I could think of. It just... They they look completely out of place, like they're from a different era. Yeah, they look like they're from the 40s. Hi, nice to meet you. We've just destroyed your house. On top of that, uh... We've also traveled back in time to see you now. Oh, there goes the little chickens. Oh, Oops. no! Still clucking. Still clucking! Oh, dear. By the way, all those irreplaceable valuables, I hope you oh. oh, there goes the cock. <laughs> oh, dear. And I know that we didn't have the rights to use the other DC characters in this scene, so oh, you're going to have yeah. to settle for the Amazons. <laughs> Sounds like a speech right out of jail, you. 
How do you think Superman repaired his suit? Because isn't it supposed to be Kryptonian, therefore indestructible? Probably just had an extra. I remember when I got the the issue that had the Michael Turner cover of this costume, and I brought it home. My wife looked at it and said, what are you reading? I'm like, would it make you feel any better if I told you she was underage? <laughs> I just... I I really had a problem with this costume, and I and I can. <gasps> he smiled. I just I just have a serious problem with this costume. You're, you're seeing things. Why don't? Oh things. no no. Uh, why why do you have a problem with the costume? Because I feel like they're sexualizing an underage girl. Well, as long like, as so- Superman doesn't fly behind her, it's all right. And too late. Maybe she wears what the cheerleaders wear. Aren't they called, like, spankies or something? Well, uh, Jamal Igel actually put that in to the costume when he took over the character uh, during the, well, on the Sterling Gates run of Supergirl because he didn't like the, the kind of skimpiness of the costume. And the, the, the problem is, is that once they brought her back, they had this great story where they reintroduce her to the DCU and they um, they have the first like five issues of her ongoing where she's trying to find her place in the world uh, so she goes on like a kind of a tour where she teams up with the Teen Titans and then she teams up with the Outsiders and then the Justice Society and all that and then after that they didn't know what to do with her at all uh, Greg Rucka was supposed to take over as the writer, but he had overcommitted himself, so they gave it to Joe Kelly. And Joe Kelly's a decent writer. It's just his run on Supergirl bothered me at just about every month that I read it. Because, you know, like they showed her where the artist had obviously taken a picture of Paris Hilton clubbing, oh you know, with a cigarette in her hand and all that and wearing skimpy clothes and every time that would happen I'm like this is a 16 year old girl and some people were like well you're overthinking it and you know why, you're the pervert because you're pointing this out it's like no she's a 16 year old girl and what we're basically saying is that it's okay to sexualize that where at the same time we're like you should feel bad about feeling at the end of the day, it, it is an alien, so if you're turned on by that, there's something wrong with you as well. <laughs> well, there there are people that are into robots, too, but that's oh entirely beside the point. Oh, my. Okay, so, Superman, Batman, Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was the film. Uh, one last comment i got to make. Uh, it is interesting how, during the credits, uh, Darkseid is top-billed over... Batman and Superman. I find that interesting. So, overall thoughts of the movie. I think it was better than Public Enemies. Um, I think it it was a much better adaptation than uh, Public Enemies was. Um, It was nice to see Kevin Conroy and Tim Daly and the other characters reprise their roles from the original animated series shows. Um... If I don't think about this as is an adaptation from a comic book, and I think of this just as a standalone story, I don't know that I would say that this was a great origin story for Supergirl. As a matter of fact, I would probably say it was not very good at all. Um, mostly because it really depicts her in a way where 
she's not really a character that you could really get behind except for if you were a female just hoping that you know this was this was going to be a female that was going to take off so I would, I would give this probably a medium rating um, but definitely not 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 in the not in my top three definitely not in my top five but it's not going to be at the bottom of the list either Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I guess... Oh, okay, you go ahead, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I agree. I think it's always great to see Kevin Conroy as Batman. I always enjoy that. And I think it works as an action film. I've never... I mean, I never read the original story, so I can uh, see from a different perspective, like, how the story goes. And it is a lot of stuff thrown in, but uh, I, I, if you just want to sit back and then enjoy like a lot of punching and fighting and stuff it, it works for that so I, I'd give it medium medium rating too um yeah and now that the background someone rolling their own cigarettes has gone away um I think that was you Michael I don't know what you were doing uh I, I apologize I'm sorry <laughs> no no I thought it, it just sounded like you were rolling your own cigarettes it was amusing uh, I really enjoy this. Uh, like Dustin, I had seen Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, and I hadn't read it, but just in general, it, it seemed slow, and I didn't enjoy it as much, so this was nice and refreshing. I also agree that she's not as strong a female character as, you know, someone obviously with XX chromosomes like myself would like to see, you know, like Wonder Woman. Um, but it was nice at least to see a female character. But uh, you know, on the other side of things, it, it, it'll be sad if this is kind of the last one that we see, that, you know, we end um, the potential of having uh, a female-led movie, we end it on this note, and, you know, we can't get back earlier one, who knows. Um, but, yeah, I would still, I would give it an A. I thought it was entertaining. I thought there were great moments. I thought it closely followed the story that, you know, I read. So I I recommend it for anyone to... Uh, to get, pick it up or at least just rent it and watch it. Um, I, I will first apologize for moving stuff around. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize it was that loud, and I do. <laughs> I, I, that was very bad podcasting form on my part, and I'm sorry. Um, I thought this was a, a, a worthy follow-up to Public Enemies, which I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, this had a bit more story uh, than Public Enemies, and I think there was a lot more to sink your teeth into uh, character-wise. Um, despite me kind of criticizing large portions of this film, I, I, I did enjoy it. I would not... I, I'm going to give it a medium grade as well. I would not put it up there with the Wonder Woman film or Justice League New Frontier or Justice League Crisis on Two Earths. Uh, but I... I, I definitely wouldn't put it at the bottom either with the Green Lantern animated film, which I did not care for at all. Yeah. Um, the only one I haven't seen was the the anime Batman one, uh, even though I have it. I just haven't seen it yet. Um, You're not missing out. <laughs> that's what really? I heard. Huh. Uh, I still have to finish Under the Red Hood, which I watched half of and then had Here. to stop because I had to go take care of something. Yes, you are missing out with that one. I liked the first half, and I love the fact, I'll throw this in here real quick, that Bruce Greenwood has continued playing Batman in the Young Justice. 
yes. animated show because he is just perfect for that role. Um, but uh, no, it, it was fun. It was it, it was exciting. It had some of the best action I've seen from these DC animated films, and it just like every animated film I see, I'm like, why can't Warner Brothers be putting this out as a live action uh, movie? Um, you you can do it. The technology is there, uh, but you're you're kind of letting the competition wipe the floor with you at the Cineplex, and while you're doing much better with the direct DVD stuff. So, but uh, that's my take on it. All right. So I hope you enjoyed our commentary of Superman Batman Apocalypse. So I want to thank our guests. Michael Bailey for coming on. We hope to have you on some future shows as well. Oh, glad uh, to do it. Stella, as always, it's been a pleasure. And Joe? Thanks for staying <laughs> awake. That would be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> the poor guy. It's, yeah. <laughs> Five in the morning currently. <laughs> Alright. It was fun. And this is Dustin. See you guys next time. Bye. Ciao. Bye. Thanks again to Michael, Dustin, and Joe for joining me and reviewing and commenting on this great movie, Superman, Batman, Apocalypse. Please remember to bookmark my new website, BatgirlToOracle.net, and also keep on the lookout for the new feed for this podcast. There will be a message on Podomatic to let you know when the new feed is in place. Thanks also to my sponsor, MileHighComics.com. I hope you all have a wonderful morning, afternoon, or evening whenever you decided to watch this movie. And until next time, fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you? <laughs>